Hi, this is Jack Rossiter Munley, Technical Director and Producer for Poetry Spoken Here. I assemble each podcast, and usually I provide the music. This week, our featured poet, Patrick Renninger, happens to also be an accomplished blues harmonica player. You'll hear more about that in the program, and you'll hear Patrick's harmonica playing throughout. You may also hear a couple of creaks and cracks. There's a simple explanation. When we recorded Patrick's harmonica playing, he was sitting in an old chair. While the quality of the recording was somewhat affected, the quality of Patrick's playing was not. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Today we're visiting with Patrick Renninger. He's a poet and a musician. He publishes regularly as a poet. He's performed in slams at the Green Mill here in Chicago, the legendary home of the slam. And back in his teens, he started jamming on his blues harmonica down at the famous Maxwell Street flea market. He's also played in bands all over the Chicago area, including two very classy gigs, one at the Chicago Cultural Center and one at the Chicago Blues Festival. And that's extremely cool. But today we're here because of the poetry. So I'm really glad you could be here, Patrick. Welcome to the show. I'm really glad to be here, too. All right. Let's start right off with a poem. You said you had a poem about a bank. I think I heard you read once. This is like one of my proud poetry moments because, you know, it took me, people at work would bug me about getting direct deposit and when you go to the bank and you don't have direct deposit they they basically it's sort of like homeland security they basically you know say why don't you have direct deposit they take you into their office they hassle you so i wrote a poem sort of in in protest I do have direct deposit, but it was sort of a poem in protest of that. Yeah. And I actually, I, I think when she took me into the little room, I showed her the poem, and they stopped hassling me. But this is called, Why I Refuse to Sign Up for Direct Deposit. I possess an unconventional need to wait in line. Mistrust any reward bestowed without the presence of Muzak and fake paneling. And I am euphoric when my personal banker charts the growth of my money market account with long flowing lines that climb like mountain peaks. The steel pole and blue velvet ropes used to herd customers toward the teller window delude me in imagining Clark Gable and Rita Hayworth processing my check. When a man in a black windbreaker brings two bourbon bottles full of coins to be counted and jams the machine with a safety pin. When ahead of me in line, a goatee 19-year-old screams in a silver cell phone, berating his ex-girlfriend. I realize that captivating theater is often inspired by the forced gathering of ambivalent bystanders. In my 30 years of banking, I have patiently waited in the lobby envisioning sex acts with nearly 300 female employees. While most of these couplings occur behind an office door, once or twice a year we wait until nightfall unlock the vault and roll around naked across a blanket of fresh bills like newlyweds in a leaf pile. If my bank visits could be calculated through cost-benefit analysis, 
If I could quantify the squandered leisure time, wasted fossil fuels, and deleted GNP affected from this antiquated era, I would likely benefit if my meager earnings migrated across cyberspace to their FDIC-insured spawning ground. Yet I prefer to be old-fashioned, to enter familiar rooms and take my place among strangers, my moments deposited in small yet immeasurable sums. <laughs> that was really good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it's got so many good little pieces I don't even know where to start. You know, <laughs> they're spawning ground. That's yeah. funny. Okay. Okay. You, you, you told somebody that your poetry has a sense of the absurd... Yeah, 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 definitely so. has. Yeah, definitely yeah. has a sense of the. I mean, I think, I think you, you sort of want to entertain yourself, and then you end up entertaining other people too. It sort yeah. of keeps you going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Did you? Um, how'd you write that? Did it come right out, or did you sit around and think about different things that you know kind of relate to making? Or I think it just. I think it. Or a mix. Right. I mean, you. I think the idea comes right out. And it takes, and then I just sort of work it. Yeah. And I think the, I think, generally, the longer you're writing, the longer it takes. You get fussier, and yeah. So. And the, the idea you could say a little more, maybe. Yeah. Can right. Right. Odd thing. Uh, yeah. I, it, I. I don't know. I. I think I just. I had the. You have the general idea of it, and you get. Yeah. You come up with that first line, and. Yeah. And then. Then the work starts. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, here's the, the. There's another poem. Um, <clears throat> I'm in a band, so a lot of times, if you're in a band, it's either you're playing or you're killing time. So um, I think one we had a gig and everybody was talking about the subject of this poem. It's called Mouse. Everybody was talking about their experience with mice. <laughs> so it's called Mouse. <clears throat> On legs smaller than matchsticks, you race three feet and dissolve into walls, a brown blur on gray carpet. While we should peacefully coexist, share a few crumbs of Canterbury to Rotford. I fear that your muffled scratching, tapping, and clawing foreshadow the rampant plunder of a rodent army. Digging a dense labyrinth of tunnels to pilfer cornflakes and bacon, Darting across ceiling and floorboards like a dyslexic track team and waking me as Tom and Jerry cartoons mysteriously blare for my TV set. The fleeting glimpse of your pink tail stirs a need for murder that is not absolved by fairness, logic, or the Ten Commandments. As a toddler, I witnessed a grandfather with arthritic hands crush an intruder who dared creep up the legs of his pajamas. When I was ten, a neighbor constructed an elaborate trap involving a bucket of bricks which dropped with perfect slapstick timing upon my skull. And as an adult, I saw men, grown men larger than you by a hundredfold, batter your brethren with a hammer, delighting in the meanness of each strike. Now alone in my apartment, there is a weight to the silence that makes me uneasy. I try to take comfort in random noise the swoosh of running water, the hiss of onions frying in a skillet. Yet I wait for you to dart past the corners of the wall, your ghost foraging in the night. When you first said mouse, I thought maybe it was like an unusual groupie. Oh. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of nickname somebody would yeah, have. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> no, real mice. Kind of a groupie, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
What, what do you think about, since we call this poetry spoken here, I like to ask people, what do you think about the relationship of the spoken poem versus the poem you read on the page? You know, do you have, do you have a big preference yourself? I mean, I, I think it has to work on the, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not like a, a slam poet. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm a little, I'm not theatrical. Um, I think if it works on the page, it, it I, I, you know, there's there's poems you go to some slams and you and they, and you'll and they'll be a great poet and they'll have a lot of charisma but then when it's on paper it doesn't work as well yeah. and there could be the opposite where someone could not be that theatrical and it's a real interesting poem but they don't have the yeah. charisma to get it across. I mean it's 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 the whole the popularity of, of spoken word is I think it's great. I mean it gets people interested in poetry. Yeah. It, you know, you know, I think it's you know it's 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 and it's and it's entertaining, but it's they're they are kind of two different things. Yeah. They have expanded our audience. Yeah, they all oh, yeah, sure they have. This is a more serious <clears throat> after my when my mother died, I wrote this poem. Um basically I I I was going to visit her at the hospital, and I I rode my bike to be healthy, and I ended up getting I, I the car went in front of me and I broke my arm, which is bad. But the good thing is it was when my mother died, so I didn't have to go to work, and I got I had an opportunity to have some free time, and I had an opportunity just to sort of sort things out and write a poem, which was really cool. And this is a poem. It's called Two Weeks After. I guess it's about just grief and just dealing with grief. Okay. Two weeks after. More than two weeks have passed and my grieving is reduced to nostalgia. Last Monday, death still burned like an angry slap and sorrow pressed hard upon my shoulders, making it difficult to tie my shoes or brew my morning coffee. Last Wednesday, your ghost hobbling in a blue nightgown followed me over stained carpets. Offered advice on preparing pimento cheese and critiqued my bed-making technique. Orange comforter and blue blanket, a rumpled landscape of neglect. Two Thursdays ago, while eating a barbecue pork chop, I heard your faint drawl recalling the smokehouse on your family farm. And the time as a young girl you were required to wring a chicken's neck as preparation for Sunday supper. Now, two Saturdays since that 1.30 a.m. phone call, 336 hours since I gently shook your lifeless limbs in your hospital bed. You seem more absent than ever. There are moments after the third glass of port when I attempt to weep. Reduced to sniveling, I welcome your firm embrace and tomato soup for eternity. Yet as each day passes, the weight of loss lightens. Thoughts of you lie hidden behind drifting fog, competing with the stern stare of my father the promise of cold beer, or the bare thigh of a bus stop blonde. Your voice scolding me in the kitchen or sweetly cackling over the phone registers only an intermittent burst like radio signals to an aircraft in distress. You really do seem gone now, your memory sealed behind the plastic of a photo album, your spirit sinking into my marrow until I am once again whole. Seems like you were uh, pretty close Okay, yeah, yeah, very close. Yeah, yeah, so yeah very close. I mean, did you live in a situation where you could see her? 
Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I lived at home for a while, and no, I would no. I'm very that's yeah. Uh, I was, yeah. was very close. Yeah. And she was she was a real good storyteller. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah a little bit of your background there. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, yeah. She seemed to no. My mom, I, I she seemed to like she talked about people at work, and she would tell their story. Yeah, everything. Everybody kind of had a story with Addie. So uh-huh. you know they're she. Talk about their childhood. They'd talk about it. There'd be a conflict established. So, yeah. So that that was good. Wow. No wonder you uh, kind of drifted maybe into majoring in English. Yeah, yeah I think so. With, yeah, with yeah, yeah. There's a newer one, which is good. Um, I went to school in Kentucky. I have a lot of friends in Kentucky, <clears throat> and this is a poem. <clears throat> one of my good friends in Kentucky. I visit with their parents whenever I'm in town. I have an uncle who's in a nursing home there. And <clears throat> and this is, I guess, one of, one of these days we were watching. The first time I actually saw HTTV was watching an animal show with them. And there, I mean, they just had such a, a sense. It was, it was sort of cool seeing HDTV. And they just had sort of a sense of wonder about them that it sort of inspired this poem. And this is called <clears throat> HDTV with Leanne and Earl. They have good names. Yeah, that's of not course. their real names. Oh, well, <laughs> no, they are not their real. There is a Leanne, there is an Earl, but they are not named Leanne. Shame on me. No, this is for believing in. No, I mean, this is not autobiographical <laughs> because it's. I don't. A lot of times, if I write about people or places, I make things up because it sounds better that way. What exactly? Uh-huh. As I was saying, that's a, those are perfect names for sitting around in Kentucky watching TV. Yeah, okay, yes, and they're so not. Makes, it's a good tip for would-be writers. Yeah, you know? okay. Yeah. You don't have to stick with the truth. No, I'm not sticking with the truth. No, right. when you're finished, it's true. There is a Leanne. There is an Earl. They both from Kentucky, but they're not these people. Anyway, here we go. The kids pitched in to buy the set for Earl's 80th. It had a picture tube as wide as a bay window. And state-of-the-art sound, and from a leather lazy boy you could study the stitch work of an anchorman's tie. Raised on square dances and big band broadcasts, church suppers and movie matinees, Leanne and Earl often hated TV, its incessant chatter blaring in the background like a spoiled child. Yet when symphonic horn signaled Animal Nation to begin, that oversized metal box became magical. Look at that line. He sure is mean, Leanne declares, staring at the screen as yellow eyes glare at a baby zebra drinking at a nearby stream. As hind legs propel the predator toward its prey, the fowl stumbles, its limbs unsteady while fangs grip its left flank. Reclining in the grass, the lioness gnaws at red muscle as Earl sets his Diet Coke on a coaster. As five lion cubs calmly nurse upon their mother, Leanne leans toward the edge of a green felt chair, her knitting needles now idle. Abruptly, an image of a blood-red sunset appears while a small herd of wildebeest plod westward across the Serengeti. Until a dignified baritone promoting short-term life insurance interrupts their program, danger lurks behind every wall. Secure in their modest brick home, Leanne and Earl feel a chill as a bird not native to Kentucky shrieks loudly from the back of the kitchen. Suddenly a musky odor invades the room, reminding Earl of a barn from his boyhood. 
Outside their door, branches shimmer from a gentle breeze. Leopards chase cars down Main Street. Rattlesnakes slither over manhole covers. And above the horizon, a hawk hovers, patiently waiting for the neighbor's cat to crawl across a newly mowed lawn. I can see that. It's also the kind of show I would like to watch on a big screen. Yeah, uh-huh. Now, you really have a, you're reading a variety of, of, of poems. We've been in the bank and, and the poem about your mother and, and watching Animal Nation in the heart of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, you seem like maybe you're the kind of poet who has no idea what the next poem is going to be about. No, I have no idea what the next yeah. poem is going to be. I mean, sometimes you... Like with that, you, the, the event will occur, mm. you know, and then you'll you'll file it away and say, that's a poem. And you sort of hold on to it in your mind, but yeah, yeah but you don't... Yeah. Yeah, I probably am a little all over the place. But, well, it's great variety. Okay, it really works good. for a reading. Because, okay, it's you good. Know, as you said, the entertainment value is really high with that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, I never ask you this. Um, what, what poets do you particularly enjoy? I've been reading a lot. I mean, I I, it, I feel like I, there's so much for me to learn. Uh, you know, I mean, there's so much out there. It's sort of overwhelming. Yeah. I don't know. I've been I've been I just discovered now. I love just discovered Anne Sexton. Mm. It was like you you go to the used bookstore and <clears throat> you read a poem, and it's like that's a perfect poem. I yes, I'm I have to buy that book. Um, I don't know. There's I you keep on discovering. I I um. Like Philip Levine, I like a real lot. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of there's the you, like I said, you keep discovering. You're eclectic. And, yeah, and you keep <coughs> and you keep looking dis- for new things. Yeah, you keep yeah. you keep discovering. There's, there's I don't know what's. Now I'm gonna forget a name, but I think Maxine Kuhlman's real good. Mm-hmm. Sharon Pope is real good. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. Just of, curious. No, I never happened to ask you. <laughs> and you never happened to tell me. <laughs> All right, it's fine. No, I mean, it's like I said, you keep on discovering yeah. new people, or you'll, you know, you'll, you know, somebody you'll look, you'll see some college anthology somewhere, and someone will just nail the great poem. So yeah. you never know. You yeah. know, it's all, <clears throat> it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. What's next? All right. Let me get a drink no of water. <laughs> Alright, this is another <clears throat> poem about my childhood. Um, I guess this was, I'm not exactly sure where this was inspired. This is one of those, you started and then it was a little sentimental and then you redid it and then you made it work. And <clears throat> I think this was inspired when, it's called a thank you letter to my grade school bully. Um <laughs> I think he wanted to be my Facebook friend. It isn't one person, but anyway, one of them wanted to be my Facebook friends, and there's no way in hell that's going to occur. But anyway, so this is called a thank you letter to my grade school bully. Remember on the playground, fifth grade recess? You're the first to call me faggot, tackle me in the muddy grass, and grab my fruit of the looms. Grundy, Grundy, you screamed as a pack of boys yanked at white fabric and lifted me off the ground, causing permanent skid marks on my emerging manhood. As mangle underwear formed a surrender flag across naked butt cheeks, you pulled until the sound of ripping claws sent me to the ground. You're the instigator of many atrocities. There was a Saturday on your front lawn when you flung a dried turd into my mouth like a sinker from a big league pitcher. 
the school lunch hour when he would seize my tray, mixing mashed potatoes and Dr. Pepper, sloppy joes and soft serve ice cream into inedible mounds of sludge. In those afternoons, I was your best buddy. You laughed at my jokes, included me in marathon bike rides, and did not torture me until after another playmate appeared. While I once envisioned a skidding yellow bus killing you instantly, a teeter-totter crushing your skull, or an army jeep hurting you to a camp populated by 13-year-old girls, I wish to express my gratitude. Though I have no need to offer a handshake or buy you a beer, befriend you on Facebook, or stare at your aging face from across a crowded room, thanks for the way a torch song and a smoky saxophone helps the hurt burn sweetly. Or for the split second I pause when I see a man bundled in trash bags on a below-zero day. While there is likely a hell for bullies, a smoldering schoolyard where tyrants are tormented by lighted farts and mocking laughter, I am sadly a better man for the beating I endured. My heart grown tender with each hateful blow, my soul impassioned by secret shame. That's a really good. I, I, I like that poem a lot. Okay. Whoa, oh my well, God. Thank you. That's really good. Okay. I think you've captured, you know, the experience mm-hmm. and the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That one's pretty. That's not fictionalized. No. Uh, that one. That's pretty. Yeah. True. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good one. Okay. Well, I think we have time for one more. Okay. Um, I'm there with you there. You uh, like yes, I do. Oh, this is an old sure. one. Okay. This is an oldie. Um, that's a little different. Yeah, this is one. <clears throat> Most of those ones were like from the last ten years. <clears throat> this one is probably about twenty years old. Mm. I wrote this when I was in college. <clears throat> Maybe it kind of expresses that too. Um, it's called School. <clears throat> School teaches us that Verdun, Vietnam, and the Holocaust, that atoms, plasma, and photosynthesis. That naturalism, capitalism, and fascism will become ours to have and to hold, with liberty and justice for all, once the space is filled in neatly with our number two pencils. School teaches us that those who study sex ed procreate, that those who study consumer ed purchase, that those who study philosophy scrub floors. School teaches us that people without GEDs are impoverished, impotent imbeciles who copulate to machines and merely understand the physiology of the lug wrench. School teaches us that once we clutch a diploma, we become initiated into a master race where life and death and all inconsistencies will reveal themselves in properly punctuated essays. In school, experience is recreated through the lecture. Concepts are explained in the text. Knowledge is work, vacations are breaks, Pepsi, gin, and cigarettes are relaxing, A is excellent, C is average, and F is failure, as dark and foreboding as the teacher's signature. With the exception of mom and public television, school has taught me everything I know. In school, you raise your hand and wait to be called on before you speak. In school, I spoke often. Now, I barely mumble. Yeah, it's 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 not it's nice and something you do consistently is there's all this really substance, 
but then there's there's light touches that come through. Mm-hmm. You, know, you learn everything from school except for mom and PBS. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank which you. I, which is okay. true. Uh-huh. Yeah, when that's you, true. When you screw a lot of people, and then when you hear it, it's just got that little oh. Okay. All right. Thank you. No. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we've been talking here with Patrick Renninger. And uh, glad you could be with us on Poetry Spoken Here. Let's turn now to a new book by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Ferlinghetti recently celebrated his 95th birthday, and it is the light to see that he is still writing poems as strong as anyone today. His latest collection, Blasts, Cries, Laughter, definitely shows that he's still got it. Ferlinghetti, of course, is the founder of City Lights Books in San Francisco back in 1955. In 1956, he and his City Lights publishers press that he started gained notoriety when he was arrested on pornography charges for publishing Allen Ginsberg's Howl and other poems. There was a trial, the literary establishment rallied to his support, and he was found not guilty. City Lights was on the map. Ferlinghetti's new book is from New Direction's Poetry Pamphlet Series, and calling it a pamphlet doesn't really do it justice. It's 44 pages, a substantial chapbook. And it showcases Ferlinghetti's skills with rhythm and rhyme and indicates that his social consciousness and sense of humor are still there. I'm going to read a few excerpts just to give you a feel for the book. The Blind Poet. This is by note, he says, performed with a blindfold and a cane. I'm painting the landscape of my bent soul and the soul of mankind as I see it. I'm giving it a voice. I'm singing folk songs about the downtrodden masses and the rich on their fat asses. I'm the painter who feels with his fingers. I'm the blind, seeing-eye poet. I see what you can't see. I eat well and drink well and dream of great epics. I am your post modern, past-modern, multimedia artist. I am the most avant of the avant. I am site-specific and totally conceptual. And later he goes on to say, I'm your far-out poet full of ecstasies and visions, your wandering workshop poet, your hairy university poet with tenure, your Buddhist quietest poet. I go on poetry reading tours where everything is paid for. I hear everything in its grist from a mill. I use it all to make great sound poetry or great concrete poetry that no one can see through. Yeah, that's the blind poet in Ferlinghetti's new book, Blasts, Cries, Laughter. He read that poem in Chicago a few years back, and uh, he did, in fact, have a blindfold on. Uh, I'm not recalling specifically. He must have had the poem memorized at that point. Here's another one with his strong political consciousness in the foreground. This one is called Pity the Nation. Starts off, pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. 
Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced. And it ends with, Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation, O pity the people of my country, my country, tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. He also, in this book, shows some of the surrealism that is present in some of his uh, earliest books, Pictures of a Gone Mind and Coney Island of the Mind. Coney Island of the Mind, which has nearly a million copies in print. Amazing for a book of poetry. This one's called Dragon's Teeth, and it starts like this. A headless man is running down the street. He's carrying his head in his hands. A woman runs after him. She has his heart in her hands, and the drones keep coming, and those people keep coming down the dirt streets. I'm going to read one more excerpt because it's such a beautiful example of something he has uh, always done, which is to observe everyday people and uh, just report what they're doing. It's a tremendous, uh, vivid example of the old admonition from poetry workshops of show, don't tell. And it's just simply like this. It begins and you get the point. Sitting on a bench at the ferry building San Francisco on the last frontier in the land of the free, facing the sea, I see, I see a young stud arrive and sit on the bench beside me. He has a croissant and a paper bag, and he has coffee in a paper cup, and he proceeds to drink coffee and eat the croissant, and it just goes on. He, this guy gets up, a woman sits down, a man sits down next to her, and the everyday scene unfolds, just like, as Ferlinghetti says, it's a magic theater. As I said, I give this uh, as many thumbs as I've got up to Lawrence Ferlinghetti's Blast Cries Laughter from New Directions Publishing. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.